remember that we must be patient. I'm not a very patient person. Are you patient with your patients? Oh, with my patients. I cannot, I cannot say that I've been perfect. I've lost my patience sometimes, but it's almost, almost none, okay? I, uh, I, I just had to throw a dad joke in there when, okay. <laughs> when you said that. Ah, okay. So, <laughs> dad joke. Uh, <laughs> Understood. <Okay. laughs> Greetings, and thank you for joining us for this edition of Peter's Field Hospital the official podcast for the website Where Peter Is. I'm Mike Lewis, the managing editor of wherepeteris.com, and this is the conclusion of my three-part interview with Pedro Gabriel. In parts one and two, I spoke with Pedro and his wife Claire Navarro about Fatima, the COVID pandemic, and about the problem of polarization in our church and in politics. In part three, Pedro and I talk one-on-one about all the work he did to respond to the controversy surrounding a ritual that was conducted by a group of indigenous people from the Amazon region during a prayer service held on the eve of the Synod on the Amazon in Rome last October. Before we begin the program, I would like to thank our Patreon sponsors, especially Lisa, Chris, and Stephen. If you would like to support our work on Patreon, please click on the Patreon button on the right-hand column of wherepeteris.com. Thank you for your generosity. We can't do it without you. I also want to remind you that on July 9th, Pedro will be giving a talk for the online Immortal Combat Men's Conference. Pedro, why don't you tell us how people can register to listen to your talk and to register for the conference? Okay, so basically, uh, we are going to post the link on the um, on the on the post in WPI where this podcast is, and uh, people can click on this link, and afterwards they have to select the topic. Basically, all presentations are divided by topics. My topic is. Uh, scripture and church teaching. They click on it and then my presentation is going to appear on a list of presentations and people can just enroll on that enroll on that specific presentation. Can they register just to listen to the one talk or do they have to register? They can register just listen to that one talk and in, it's my understanding that after they enroll they can um, they can listen to any talk there is 23 speakers, if I'm not mistaken, and some of them are even going to do more talks than that. It's like three days. My talk is in 9th of July, but the other talks start in 7th and the 8th. So it's just a matter of going there and listening. It's a virtual conference. Everything is online. Now, Pedro, I want to talk to you about something that in some ways helped put where Peter is on the map. Last October, our website traffic shot up dramatically after a prayer service on the Feast of St. Francis was held in the, in the Vatican Gardens. 
it was led by people from the Amazon region. It included a ceremonial procession and, and dance. There, was, uh, there were prayers, there were readings. But the thing that caught the focus of a lot of Pope Francis's critics, and I think has been one of the cultural touchstones of criticism of Pope Francis, was the fact that there were two wooden figures of pregnant women kneeling in the center of this display of, of symbolic objects, and that this group of, of people from the Amazon region, during their prayer service, they, they went around this blanket in a circle, and then they prostrated themselves. But this has been classified by many, many pundits, including on EWTN, and certainly by various online apologists. And it culminated right on the eve of the closing of the Synod, when a young man went into the church in Rome, where these figures were held, and threw them into the Tiber River. Now, you followed this issue very closely from the beginning. The accusations were there in the very beginning. I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through that entire issue. And, and I mean, I don't know if you counted the number of words that you dedicated to enculturation, to whether or not this was pagan, to trying to explain what they were saying and what they were doing. But it was heroic work. And I personally know a priest who was wondering what was going on, and I sent him a couple of your links, and they helped explain it to him. Of course, he was coming from a perspective of the Pope isn't going to be sponsoring pagan worship at the Vatican, and so he wanted to know what the explanation was. Others are less generous of heart. Anyway, if you could just talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, basically, uh, you're correct. Uh, the default position of a person should be, of course, the Pope is not going to host a pagan ritual in the Vatican. That should be something that people should assume as logically the best explanation. But unfortunately, nowadays, some Catholics are so suspicious of Pope Francis that they are willing to entertain these ideas as if they were plausible on the get-go. So basically, when I saw that there was a new accusation against Pope Francis, uh, what I did was to do what I've been doing since Benedict XVI, go to the primary sources. So I tried to find a video of the whole ceremony. And what I've tried to do, even when, when uh, it's not about ceremonies, when it's about documents or interviews or whatnot, is to try to read everything, okay? Because it gives context. And sometimes when you go and see everything or read everything, you'll find that there are things that actually contradict the malicious interpretation. So I saw the whole ceremony from beginning to end. And here speaking Portuguese actually helped me because some parts were in Portuguese, most parts were in Portuguese. Brazilian Portuguese is the main language in the Amazon. 
but also some in Spanish that I could understand. So what I saw was there's a completely Catholic ceremony with Catholic speeches, Catholic teachings, talking about God, talking about Jesus. And suddenly, 16 minutes in, enter a group of natives who perform a ritual. They don't introduce themselves. They just go in. They do the, the allegedly pagan ritual. They come out. And then suddenly the Catholic ceremony continues unabated for almost a full hour again. That doesn't make any sense at all. This is obviously just because of that. And since we don't know until now, we don't know what the ceremony meant. We didn't get an official explanation from the person who organized it. I think that's a pity because whether or not it's something bad, we should know, okay? On that regard, I know that many journalists tried to reach out and they could not, okay? Uh, I tried to reach out and I could not. But with what we have, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that there are 16 minutes of Catholicism suddenly interrupted by five minutes of paganism suddenly interrupted to bring one hour of Catholicism again. And another thing that caught my attention was, yes, there was a prostration in front of those figures, but then those figures go, are taken up to be blessed by the Pope. And there's a woman, the woman that, pres the woman that presided over the ceremony, she goes to the Pope, she kisses his hand, and I'm sorry, her, her eyes and her face are not the eyes and face of someone who is like there just to meet a, a, an important figure. No, there's when she kisses the Pope's hand, there is devotion in her eyes. She, it's perceptible. But then that's the woman that, that presided over the ritual. And then she steps aside and then a man comes in and brings the statue to be blessed by the Pope. And this woman that stepped aside says loud and clear, Nuestra Señora de la Amazonia, which is Spanish for Our Lady of the Amazon. And yeah, when I hear all these critics saying, just sharing a picture of the prostration in front of the statues, and they're going to just dismiss what I'm writing or what any papal defender is writing, they're just going to dismiss it by saying, what are you going to believe? Me, uh, you on, or your lying eyes? There, that's the expression. Uh, I just want to reply to them, well, what do you want me to believe? You, LifeSite News, EWTN, who have been biased against the Pope, or my own lying ears? I heard this lady saying our lady of the amazon what well, what do you want expect me to do to just go on and, and believe that it's pachamama when that word did not appear anywhere in that ceremony anywhere so yeah from that point onward i knew there was something amiss but then there was 
some confusion coming around because that was not the official explanation. Before we go there, a journalist actually had the good idea of going to one of the priests that organized the ceremony and asking him, what does that statue mean? And the priest said it means many things, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things is it represents Mary, the Virgin Mary. This priest organized this, this ritual. So from that point onward, the controversy should have ceased. But the problem is the controversy does not exist because people have a different understanding. And no, the controversy exists for a purpose. It needs to be kept going to show that the Pope is bad, that the Pope is evil. Those voices, which are the voices closer to the ceremony, were completely drowned in a sea of commentary from people who were handpicked by those media sources hostile to the Pope, flaunting their credentials or handpicked uh, natives, many of whom are not even Catholics, and that uh, that happened in LifeSite News, for instance, in which the native that was interviewed spoke in Portuguese, and he never said that the ritual was pagan. He said that the ritual was bad, it was associated with uh, uh, smokes and whatnot, but he never said that it was pagan. The person who said that it was pagan was a translator which belonged to TFP. So after all of this, yeah, the controversy got a life of its own. And the problem is that later on, there were official confirmations, both from Repham and from the Vatican itself, that sowed more confusion. And from that point onward, I was also intrigued because of that, because they were denying that it was a Marian representation. From my understanding, because the Vatican officials kept repeating the same thing, I think that that's, that's their in, uh, understanding. They, they probably got this explanation. No, the statues are not Marian and they are not pagan either. They just represent the Amazonian people. They just represent fertility. That's what they thought. But here is where it's interesting. They would say, all of them, all of them would say, it's not a Marian representation, but it's not a pagan representation either. And so these people who were adept of the Pachamama hypothesis would just say, haha, see, it's not Marian, so it's pagan. And I'm like, how can you say that from there? I mean, it, they deny both that it's Marian and that it's pagan. So you go on and say, uh, it's not Marian, so it's proven that it's pagan. It's from the, same, from the same statement. So they just pick and choose whatever interests them, and they just pretend that what does not interest them does not exist, okay? So basically, the official explanation, probably uh, it's be because it was not based on the actual people that organized the ceremony, since these statues were not created for the purpose of the ceremony. They are a symbol 
of REPAM, that, that uh, organization that uh, has been heard in the, um, in the Amazon Synod. So they basically seem to have given the history behind the statues at the institutional level. It was created as a symbol of motherhood, a symbol of fertility, but not as pagan. And probably the Vatican took off from there because the Vatican being an official body also went with the official explanation. And they just kept denying that it's pagan, but yeah, the, this is one of the problems. I think that many people here are honestly confused and honestly believe that it's Pachamama. But since some episodes, namely the episode of uh, La uh, Benedict's letter, uh, Lattergate, it was a long time ago. I think that simply there, there is no uh, honesty in the way this is covered by those who are propelling these, the, these accusations. On that Benedict letter, let me recall, Benedict sent a letter about a book, a book that... A series of books. A series yeah. of books, yes. And Benedict just lauded Pope Francis a lot in that letter. And that was in one page. In the second page, Benedict says that he cannot endorse these books because there's a theologian there that it's not quite orthodox. So basically, the second page was released, and I think it was AP said that this reporting did not meet their standards because the second letter changed the meaning. Yeah, it changed the meaning regarding the books but it did not change the meaning regarding Pope Francis. The second page did not have anything to say, and did not say, oh, I said very good things about Pope Francis, but now, yeah, now I am going to tell you about the bad things and why I don't support Pope Francis. So these people took hold of that small sentence that said, changes the meaning, and then they, they just said, oh, what Benedict said about Pope Francis doesn't matter because the Vatican did some propaganda stunt and he did not release the second page that changes the whole meaning. Yeah. And like, changes and the whole meaning of what? And they don't say, oh, it changes the whole meaning. That, that's it. So from that point onwards, it cannot be intellectual honesty because it doesn't, they just take that, that small sentence to undermine the truth, the truth underneath. Yeah. And I just want to interject here. Um, having worked for Catholic publishing for a long time, the sense that I get of what the Vatican communications response to this was, my guess is they sent this series of books to Pope Emeritus Benedict, hoping that he would give an endorsement, that he would blurb the book for something to put on the back cover. And it was a shot in the dark, but then they get a response from, from Benedict and they read the first paragraph and a half and they're like, ooh, this is good. And then they read the second half of it and they say, ooh, I don't know that we want to release this. And they were totally thinking, my, my impression was, can we use this to market the book? And so it wasn't like we want to prove that Benedict is in alignment with Francis. It was we want to use Benedict to promote these books, but obviously they're thinking, well, we don't want to let people know about that, that yeah. second, you know, that second part. And they, and they made a, not realizing the level of controversy that would follow. And so they 
or not fully realizing the backlash and they made a bad call because they should have anticipated that people were going to want to see the second half of that letter. And so basically it built a controversy about an issue that really wasn't on the mind of the publisher and the marketer. But because they saw it as duplicity, the public saw it as duplicity, the critics did. But it was really, um, to me, it was a matter of an error of judgment in marketing. Yeah, but the problem is there's an error of judgment regarding marketing of the book. But the way it was weaponized was to attack the supposed support that Benedict had for Francis. Because that's the point. It's always to undermine Francis at all times. So they just take this, op this opportunity because many of them still believe that Benedict is a true pope or something. And they just take this opportunity. Okay, I found this, this small sentence that I can drop and take this, this problem has been taken care of. Yes. And returning to the Pachamama controversy, this also happened with the, with the pope. It actually escalated to the Pope. After the vandalism had taken place, they managed to recover the statues from the river. This was a very regretful incident. I never cease to, to say it. It's, uh, it was profoundly disrespectful towards the Amazonian Catholics that went there. And they already do not have much representation in the church, the Amazon Synod is basically almost the first time that we have given them a voice, and that's how we treat them, and that's how we treat their culture. Okay, imagine if, like, some uh, imagine if some Catholics from Japan went to Rome and they saw uh, statues of uh, pagan gods or of pagan figures in our European churches and then just vandalize them. How would Western Catholics feel about that? Especially if for some reason the Japanese Catholics were the, the substantial, the sector of the church with more uh, power or more representation. That, that, would not, that would not make us feel well because we know that those figures there don't have any pagan significance. And this brings me basically to another key phrase that they abuse, which is when they recovered the statues from Tabor River, Pope Francis announced that and said, uh, the Pachamama statues have been retrieved. This is good news. But, and they said, aha, we got it. Pope Francis confirmed it's Pachamama. From that point onward, there was no debate whatsoever again. And the problem is, if you read the statement, Pope Francis says, the Pachamama statues, which did not have any pagan intentions, were retrieved. But they just disregarded that part because that part did not interest them. It was just Pachamama. That's what we can use. It's proven. That's it. This is not a way to... I tried as much as possible to dig up the truth in what is possible with the amount of information that we have at our disposal at this moment. This sometimes means that things shift, especially when we are reporting live, okay? Things shift very quickly and a person needs to adapt or adjust to get to the bottom of it. But getting to the bottom of it is not just 
cling to this interpretation and then that's the confirmation bias we were talking about okay and then new information comes up okay let's take this part of the information that i can use because it validates my narrative and let's just discard the other the other part that does not validate my narrative in fact contradicts it and actually two hours two hours was the amount of time that took for a vatican official to clarify and say Pope Francis just said Pachamama statues because that's how they have been called in Italian media so that people would know what we're talking about. But again, that part never came to those Catholic media. And uh, it's kind of tragic that a person goes and tries to investigate as much as possible, get to the bottom of it, and then people are just going to disregard it and laugh at just as if we are saying that the earth is flat. It's basically, it's un not understandable. And I think one of the things, one of the factors that, that goes into that, the Vatican, and this has been, if, if I was to say I, I had a qualm with the Vatican and Vatican communications under Pope Francis, is that they are not attuned to this Anglophone, mainly reactionary response to his papacy. So they were concerned about their, you know, they had the, the ceremony, they enjoyed it, they, they said the prayers, they moved on with the synod, they discussed what they were discussing in the synod hall, and for the large part, they disregarded this hysteria that was going on in the in the conservative Catholic media around that ceremony. For them, it was it was okay. And you know, this is a side issue. It's not important. And I think for most of the world, it was like, oh, everyone's calling them, calling it Pachamama. So it's like, oh yeah, those Pachamamas, you know, it, it didn't have that. They are worshiping this pagan deity. It was just like, oh, that's what those are called. And I think that the Vatican's communication department's attentiveness could have been a little bit more precise. It could have said wooden figures instead of Pachamama. But it was- from my, I agree with you that that they the, disregarded this as a side controversy that doesn't have any impact. But again, they ignore it at their own peril because it had an impact. Someone broke into a church, stole statues, and vandalized them because of that. And so it had an impact. We cannot keep ignoring this. This is dangerous. This is this needs to be addressed. Otherwise, these kinds of terrible happenings were, will just keep repeating themselves. And I, I, think, I think people are beginning to discover this, just to touch on this lightly, because we've written about it and discussed it at length. But I think the fact that Vigano's letter was tweeted by President Trump, as well as included in a quote-unquote Q drop, that this QAnon figure posted this publicly among their followers, this, this form of conspiratorial, radical, reactionary fringe, well, what people call fringe Catholicism is starting to get the attention of the public. So I don't know it, and this is part of why we exist and, and that feeds into your point. So basically, after the statues were retrieved, there was this idea because the police officer that retrieved the statues probably to prove that the vandals did not win he said to the pope if you want you can use these statues 
at the closing of the synod. And for a few hours, I don't remember if it were days, there was a high expectation that Pope Francis is going to use these statues at the closing of the synod just to rub it in on all those faithful Catholics, just to show them that the pagans have won. And then there's the typical Protestant rhetoric of the abomination has entered the temple and all those things. And Pope Francis, uh, being a discerning person as he is, tried to not stoke conflict anymore. Precisely, he did not bring the statues to, to the closing of the synod. Instead, they put a native vase of earth, symbolizing earth, on the altar. So they put all the earth on the altar. Basically, the, all these conservative and traditionalist Catholics want to consecrate, uh, want, the, want the consecration of the whole earth to Our Lady. So that's basically it. The natives put a, a bowl of earth on the altar symbolizing the whole earth. So one would think uh, that they would be satisfied. Oh, Pope Francis did not bring the pagan statue to the closing of the synod. Okay, that was good. It was pagan, but he did not do it. So, let's, so that was good. No, they were not. They simply said, oh, these native bases uh, are also, they found some, some sites or some, some articles or something that said, oh, these bases of earth are something that usually is given to Pachamama. So, there's pagan idolatry on the vases. It's, there's, there's pagan intentions here too. So Pope Francis again triumphed with his paganism over the faithful Catholics. And I'm like, it's a vase of dirt. This just proves how they are willing to stretch up the paganism charge. Everything confirms the bias that it is pagan. Everything. If Pope Francis did anything it would confirm that it was pagan uh, that's how these narratives are working and that's why they are dangerous because at a certain point it is impossible to escape them it is impossible to refute them the person who is gets entangled in these narratives there's nothing we can say that will make that person feel better this is dangerous how does a person who got enmeshed in these conspiracy theories comes back, come back to the vicar of Christ? One of the, you know, it, just to bring up a, a very concrete example of this, not, not too long ago, Pope Emeritus Benedict traveled to Germany because his, his brother, Monsignor Georg Ratzinger, was dying. And some of these conspiracy theorists publicized that he had been driven from Rome and he would not be leaving Germany as some prophecy said that the true Pope will be driven from Rome. And then he returned two or three days later and then the narrative shifted to his Roman imprisoners had summoned him back and are forcing him back into his prison. So it's, it's, there's just no winning with with oh. some of these people it's There's whatever, no. whatever happens they're going to develop a narrative that conforms 
to their predetermined belief. And yeah. I don't know if people are doing this intentionally or if they probably they not. They haven't really thought about um, this actually goes full circle to my talk because yeah. Pope Francis actually explains how these people are being blinded by two temptations. One of them is the temptation of suspicion. And he says they are not doing this with ill will, but yeah, this is a temptation and this is a spiritual malady. And I actually get into that in during my, my talk. And it, just like you were saying, there was this expectation that maybe the the statues would be present at that closing ceremony. I, I admit for myself personally, I would have loved to see Pope Francis just twist the knife and do that gotcha. Or another thing that happened recently was Cardinal Seurat, who is the prefect for the Congregation of Divine Worship, he, he reached his 75th birthday and he announced, and I believe it was also announced from the Vatican press office, that his term had been extended or was continuing, um, officially stated. And whereas I think a lot of people were, were sort of counting down the days until his birthday so that he could finally get fired, Pope Francis, it seems almost, I don't know if it goes out of his way or if it's just his, his spiritual approach not yeah, to perform Francis, those gotchas. Yeah. Pope Francis does not work like that. And I know that we as papal defenders uh, have this uh, temptation to just want to find, just want Francis to come and uh, maybe excommunicate all these people so that finally things are going to be clarified on that ground. But here's the thing, that's a temptation on our part because these people also started like that. And the papacies of Benedict and the papacies of John Paul II, uh, some of them before the Second Vatican Council, they wanted everything clarified and they wanted everyone who did not toe the line to be excommunicated. And basically that's how they developed the mindset that brought them back, that brought them to their present day. We must learn with the past and learn with the Pope. And remember that we must be patient uh, with them something i also struggle with that really sometimes i just lose my patience with them i'm not a very patient person but yeah we need to we need to uh, uh, at least for our own spiritual health so that we will not eventually follow the path but francis does not work like that and i really think that it's the, it's the Christian way, it's the Catholic way, and uh, it, it, it ends up working. It seems extremely disorganized. It seems extremely counterproductive, but being a Catholic means that uh, we understand that God's ways are usually like that, you know? Just yeah. be, be gentle, be good, don't, pay, don't repay evil with evil and God will sort out the rest. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I think actually Robert Fastigi, in his recent piece that I think was titled Is Archbishop Vigano in Schism? He gave a very clear theological 
analysis that I think establishes that from a theological basis, based on Vigano's public statements, this, this is materially true. Yet he advised against canonical action being taken against him. And, and I think at this point, it, I don't see how it would ever do any good. People have clearly allied themselves with Vigano. And if he's formally excommunicated from the church, I think they'll follow him right out of the church. Of course they will. Yes, completely. And uh, in fact, at this moment, Vigano's charges are just so bizarre, so that I think that a person should be able to just look at them and say, no, uh, this, this, is, this cannot possibly be true. But there are still people who say that. There are still people who believe him. So at this moment, I don't think what else he can say or what else the Vatican can say that will make people change their minds. At this moment, they have this manichaeistic view of the good guys versus the bad guys, this polarization we were talking about. Vigano falls on the good guys, Pope Francis falls on the bad guys. So if Pope Francis does something against Vigano, uh, then uh, it's because he is bad. And Vigano is going to be the, uh, the image of the martyr Jesus. So yeah, I do believe that Sooner or later, Pope Francis is going to be vindicated and all of this controversy is going to subside and the next one will come, maybe in the next papacy. So let's see what happens. All right. Well, thank you very much, Pedro, for joining me. We finally had you on a podcast. Thank you very much for having us. We, uh, we enjoyed it a lot. All right. Uh, talk to you soon. This concludes my conversation with Pedro Gabriel. Once again, we would like to thank our Patreon sponsors, especially Lisa, Chris, and Stephen. If you would like to support the work of Where Peter Is, please click on the Patreon button on the right-hand column of wherepeteris.com. If you would like to register to listen to Pedro's July 9th talk on the topic of Pope Francis and Silence, how to Defeat the False Angel of Light, please click on the link provided to register. On behalf of Pedro and Claire, I'm Mike Lewis, and I want to thank you for listening to Peter's Field Hospital. Until next time, God bless and take care.